Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. What an absolutely brilliant exercise of melodic combinations of different messages that are given in your songs about the holy birth of Jesus Christ and Christmas time. God bless you. Awesome. And hello out there, everybody. We are happy to be here with you today. And it is a continuum of excitement that lives in our breasts. It's a continuum of excitement that draws us to the Word. There is no limit. There is no end. And it is exciting because imbued within those wonderful revelations is the love of God. <coughs> God bless you so much. So today is Sunday, December the 8th, 2013. And we are in Analog with Angels, part 23. And today we're going to get into the revelation of paradise. And we are going to ask God as we get into the, the words of, of this revelation and minister uh, this revelation to you for an imbuement of all these words of healing so that as these messages go out over the, the hearing, whether it be for a times, times and a half times, or whether it be for just a few years, that these messages keep alive with the imbuement that we pronounce for each of these teachings. Today, the healing that we are asking for in this imbuement of the word is for bowel and stomach disorders so that people that are listening and are having problems in their bowels or with stomach disorders or both can receive a healing and a deliverance. Praise be to the living God who is so merciful, who is so full of compassion and love. Today, we're going to be talking about paradise and some very intriguing, interesting things. It is truly a moment of the opening up of the mysteries of God. It is truly a time of the destinata. For we know that when the destinata are moving in the Spirit of God, that they have wings. Blessed be the name of God. Now we've been talking about, in the last several weeks, about many, many different subjects and things of interest. Last week we talked about Gilgal, G-I-L-G-A-L, -L, which means wheel. And it described a particular kind of wheel in Ezekiel that was a flying ship of God. And it was the physical part. Riding within the Gilgal, 
were the Ophanim being represented, of course, by the cherubim and the seraphim. And fulfilling the scripture of there being the the entity that was the Ophan within the pilot hold and and passenger hold of the Gilgal being the ship, the ship being called a wheel, the Ophanim's name means wheel, and the wheel of the Ophan was within the Ophanim wheel of the ship, fulfilling the wheel in the middle of the wheel. And there's been so many things that we have uh, shared and revealed. Recently we did the revelation of the chambers of the south, and we showed how that this was actually talking about the Father's house, the, the home of the flying Ziths. And we talked about the Torah laws, about the one-third of the, bra of the fringe that is braided, <coughs> and of the uh, part of the of the uh, of the fringe that's unbraided, and and the difference being from the one third to the two thirds, and how that this had a very important message about. The one, the, the one third of the three groups of angels that fell, and then the one third of the one group of angels that was cast to earth and were willing to take bodies, but of the other two thirds of that one third part of the stars or the other kinds of, of angel groups in heaven, there was two-thirds not willing to take bodies for fear of losing their memory. We talked about the ephod, which was the priest robe, and how that on the ephod was the fringe. And we remember the story of Jesus, how that he wore a fringe. And a lady touched the fringe and was healed of a disease that she had had for 12 years. <clears throat> We remember how that Paul said to one of his associates, when you come to see me, be sure to stop by, and he described where, and bring my books and my cloak. We know that the prayer shawl was called also a cloak, and that obviously was what it was that Paul wanted to be brought to him. The prayer shah has been described different times as a, a tent. The tent, of course, was a memory, uh, a memory, uh, more, uh, you know, a memory that um, was a keepsake thing from the Word of God about where the tabernacle was to be housed. And 
it, it in that sense was a memorial. <clears throat> we talked about the Queen of Babylon and all the different kinds of sitting positions described. Sitting on the water, sitting on the scarlet-colored beast, sitting on the seven mountains, revealing some of those tremendous revelations about her who said she I, who said, I sit a queen. She was the queen of Babylon. She was the mother of harlots. We've gone back in some of our teachings that go further back on Nimrod and Astoreth, his wife, which sometimes is spelt Astara, A-S-T-A-R, uh, a Starreth, and we've gone into <coughs> some extremely interesting things that is not just something that you hear every day. We talked about the ecclesia, um, which is the word translated in the Greek for church, and how that that name means a whole lot more than just a physical building or the people that meet in the building. Uh, it does, of course, incorporate the idea of a congregation, but it goes further than that in the numerology, includes the millions of saints in heaven. So we have been on an interesting trail as we've gone through things like the Christ Hour and broken it down, as we've been involved in the seven stars, spirits, seven spirits of God, seven stars, the seven stars being the seven angels of the seven universes, and the seven candlesticks being the seven churches, the ecclesia, but this not meaning the physical, local, or earth world churches but meaning the universal stars. And we've described how the, the stars are actually uh, described in the Bible as representing the universe. We got involved in the count of the beast and how that the beast must be counted before you can start on thinking about the number of the man. And we showed that scripture. So the one-third mystery is an incredible revelation. And the 666 revelation and the zizit, which means fringe, and which ends up having a count, which ends up being... 666 and we show that that in the, on the tree of good <coughs> excuse me on the tree of good and evil that this tree has both the good and the evil and we will show the importance of that with the idea of paradise so that this number included the 10 covenant laws and the statutory laws which totaled 613 and then with the windings and the knots of the fringe, 39, 
and with seven representing the white that they use on the fringe because it incorporates all the seven colors. And the seven that represents the one-third and the two-thirds of the star angel revelation, that equals 666. And how that this revelation of the fringes is, is major. And understanding this thing that is major, and understanding how the, that beast have been used in the Bible for the good, like the Lamb of God is a beast. And how then in Revelations it speaks of the four beasts that fall down before God, and they are redeemed because they represent various nations of, of the world, but those beast names change, and those beasts change from the good side to the evil side, from the evil side to the good side. And we know there are many scriptures about the tents of glory, going all the way back to Genesis and through Exodus and Chronicles, Psalms, this tent which is a representation of the shawl, the prayer shawl that people wear, which has a printed crown around the neck, which is symbolic of, of the crown ship that that ties into with the, the priestly garb and with also the fringe that people are to put on their own clothes. Now in the light of that, I want to read something to you from the Seven Thunders Speak, Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis, The Manifester. This book is offered on our, our manifest blog site. You just have to do a little bit of looking for it, but you can, if you, if you try, you'll find it. And uh, it's for sale. There's no book like this in the world. There's nothing like this book written in the world. It is an absolutely incredible, spiritual, awesome book. And I want to read from the postludes some uh, very interesting things about the spiritual voussoir, the spiritual voussoir, the potentiations and the spiritual um, fomato. And I know those things sound foreign, but there are words in certain languages that have no equal in the English equivalent. And they express things a certain way that helps a person better understand some of the deeper things of God. On page 495, it says, what will overcoming creations do during the eternities? Well, they must accomplish the vujar. The vujar is a term for one of the pieces of the wedged-shaped wedged stone or rock placed side by side to form an arch or vault. So then, vujar, vujar can be used to form arches which serve to support curved structures of spanning archways. When the new overcoming 
entities enter into the outer fringe, outer fringe, F-R-I-N-G-E, of the first domain. Now, the first domain, the heaven of heavens, has a fringe. Now, when you begin to understand this language of God, and that the very heaven of heavens has a fringe, and the importance of that fringe, which we'll get into, you begin to understand that there is a a must association that God has recognized of how that certain negative aspects and their potentiations have a relative relationship to the positive aspects that also have potentiations. Now, there is a term in teaching we do called impodition. And it teaches, and impodition, by the way, comes from the word impede. But there are cases in electronics where the ability to impede was used in transistor systems and, and is used in electronic systems and is a must as to have an impedance sometimes uh, to control um, circuitry. And there's also that aspect when to impede something can be negative because it can eliminate something that is importantly good. But the both potentiations are there just like in the tree of good and evil knowledge. But the the domain of God, <laughs> the first domain of God, has a fringe. Wow. Think on that. Think on it. <clears throat> I'm in a sneezing mood here. You have to bear with me if you would. Okay. Here's what it says. When the new overcoming entities come into the outer fringe. Now, the missionary angels have gone out into the newly revitalized new creation of, of a universe which God has stretched out the debris and the density of the first universe to make a new universe. And they go out there to create and the idea is after it takes eons of times to develop uh, invo- involving or to, to develop creatures that involve um, and can reach a point of having a mind consciousness that there is a God. And then from there, that's just the beginning. <coughs> and after a very long, great period of time, when there is ultimately a victory and and these um, entities that have um, latitude to this place of 
recognizing God and having a relationship of communication with God, and then they become uh, saved uh, with an opportunity to have a soul, <clears throat> they don't just go right to the first domain. They just don't go right into the first heaven of heaven. It's an extremely holy and highly volatile place for someone that doesn't have enough of the spirit to survive it. So they enter into the fringe of the first domain. And during their experience of time uh, on the fringe or living in the fringe of the, of the first domain, um, they wait for the development so that they can eventually go through the spiritual archways, which is the bourgeois that we are talking about, the bourgeois. Now that is spelled V-O-U-S-S-O-I-R. V-O-U-S-S-O-I-R. I believe it's a French word, bourgeois. And eventually then, the overcoming entities, after they go through their preparations, can go through the archways into the first domain. But that is available for, for several different uh, situations. Um, the um, spiritual archway is not a fixed set of form or bourgeois that are, are, are built stones upon stones, but rather as an archway that is built of living tonal attributes connected of thoughts upon thoughts. It is a spiritual musical fugue full of counterpoint and, and contrapuntal uh, phrasing. Each successive, um, each successive uh, voussois begins as one part and is taken up by other parts. Each part, being of its own texture of composition, becomes a precedent by which counter melodies intertwine to become a musical mindscape of more parts than the whole of its main theme. Now, in this next. Um, paragraph, and I, I can't read all of this. You need to get the book if you don't have it. God help you. You do want the book. And that's not trying to sell you anything. That's just trying to do you a favor. Until the living bourgeois have collectively formed the archway, they are restrained by their unfulfilled unity from proceeding beyond the fringes and the primary inner deep of the first domain. It can conceivably take several eternities before they reach the perfect tuning of such unity. If they are, are not able to make that transition before the overcomers of another creation, our universe, arrive, <coughs> they, the first arrived entities, would have to regroup with the extension of those new additional entities <coughs> into the same mind and fittings of unity for forming that perfect arch into the first domain. Achieving such tunings of unity is not considered advancing of rank, but rather the acts of coordinating, <coughs> merging, and experiencing glories. The first domain, love is not separated into reservations. 
Now, on page 497 at the bottom, the angels who has overcome her angel spirits from before have experienced the fringe archway and then the primary archway into the first domain. They will, after having gone out on a successful mission in the various kinds of angelship, come back and pass through the first domain fringes and the um, now, notice what I said here. They well after having gone out on a successful mission. If they come back and their their mission may be ultimately successful, but there could be, as in the case of the fallen angels that fell right during the creation of of these new entities that had never been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that they are trying to bring into the fringes as uh, new soul potentials. If they had a major uh, type of, of failure, then um, they would not be able to just immediately go in to the first domain. They would, they would, they would be in the fringes until the, the unity of that experience uh, was merged um, uh, in, in, into the capability of going through the archway, archway uh, so as to not bring any of that into the first domain. Now, um, another thing that I will add there is that God, the ultimate I am invisible God, never leaves the first domain. Only his Holy Spirit leaves the first domain, which the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, when it is operating as the Holy Ghost, someone says, the oh, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same thing. Uh, yes and no. They are the same substance, but not always in the same quantity of that substance, which is the differentiation of a certain attribute which is ex described in Luke 3.23, where it describes the Holy Ghost taking on a body shape. When the Holy Ghost has reaches a certain entity level, then, uh, uh, and that means, like when the Bible says, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, just by saying be filled with the Holy Ghost means you could have Holy Spirit in you, but not be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can finally reach the place in the, the fullness of the filling of the Holy Spirit to where it becomes the Holy Ghost. Now, you, you might say, well, that's just in translation differences. <laughs> it's more than that. It's more than that. It is a pressure. It is deeper. And it is as I am saying. And so when the Holy Ghost does things like appear as as tongues of fire or as a dove or as it says in Luke 3.23 as the Holy Ghost to take on a body shape then you can see how extensive that this thing with the Holy Spirit and Holy Ghost because it is a perfect word the Holy Ghost is a perfect word to describe how that the ghost of God the the ultimate invisible God goes out into the universe 
the physical infinity, but his soul, his his ultimate intracentrum of being, never goes out, never leaves the first domain. Now, there is a special provision where that the angels that are the archangels, the lords of hosts, lords of hosts, H-O-S-T-S, they are privileged because of their their rank, that they during any time of the of the of the universe can, if there is special needs or special waiting upon the Lord in a certain way of the invisible God, they can go to the fringe of the first domain. But they cannot come go into the first domain until after the end of the universe. And that is very, very important to understand as we get into this teaching. And you'll begin to see why those things are important to know and understand. And that if you, if you, if you don't know them and you don't understand them, then it's difficult to be able to um, understand Scripture. So important. So very, 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 very important. Now, we're going to look at this subject of paradise because people just have not understood it in the way that they should understand it. So let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. The book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse, I think we're going to start with verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, it's very, very important to understand that this paradise of Eden is also called the Garden of God. And we have to understand that this garden of God was planted by God. Just like verse 7 says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth. And we have to remember when he say Lord God, the Lord, most of your Bibles will be all capital letters because it's coming from the word uh, Yahweh or Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, the four letters that incorporate the secret name of God. But it also is a manifold word when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It's actually Elohim, we've explained this many times, that is a plural word. And uh, even though people say, well, that's modified because there's this verb, um, you know, that doesn't hold water when there are several examples where the Bible is translated to, to plural and the verb is still there. 
because sometimes a singular term is a plural term. It's a singular plural. And that is very important to know and to understand. And so as we get into this, the gods planting a garden, eastward in Eden, we understand that Eden then is a big place. And there is a, a garden in, in, uh, in Eden, which is eastward, and that garden is called a paradise. And there's all kinds of scriptures to support the paradise thing. I may or may not be able to get to that today because it's just too much to cover here. And out of the ground the Lord made, the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food, the tree of life. <laughs> that was made out of the ground. And the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, that was made out of the ground. And it says, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden. Now the midst of the garden means that it separated the east paradise from the west paradise. There was an east garden and there was a west garden. And you have to understand that that is a very important connection to the meaning of paradise. Because that word paradise has been so souped up and so conglomerated with other adjectives that people haven't under understood the real truth about it. So it doesn't take a lot of reading of the Bible or thinking to realize that the word mist, which is a very important word, is a revelation of an east garden and a west garden and this zone of neither land in between. And no doubt the tree of life was in the midst but toward the side of the garden of east and the tree of good and evil knowledge was in the midst toward the side of the west garden And so as we begin to see this and begin to understand this, we start to learn some things about the word paradise. Now, the word that comes from paradise, the, that sets it off, para, P-A-R-I, it means beside or side by side. So when you say paradise, you're talking about this garden, this, this park, this orchard, this super 
place. And you can check that out from Strong's Concordance Dictionary 6508 and 3857 that this paradise para and it's it's like in molecular application when we're talking molecularly para represents two opposite sides that have opposite spin directions. So with these opposite spin directions, you have one that spins toward God, you have one that spins away from God. And, and that kind of, of understanding is, is interwoven in the book of Genesis, in which it talks about to twist away. That, that when it talked about the, the, the night and, and the day, the night part, the darkness part, actually comes from a word related to to twist away. And so you've got the day, which is symbolic of the light of God, and you've got the night, which is has the darkness, and it's symbolic of the forces dark. But we know that in the night, there is good things as well as evil things, and in the day, there are good things as well as evil things. This paradise is important to understand. And as we begin to, to encompass spiritually and mentally, these kind of revelations. It's just very, very important to give it the full, proper thinking that sees it in the full light of its reality. Paradise. So it says, oh, I'm going to paradise, yeah? Para. We'll show you how relevant that understanding is before we're done with this teaching here. And we know that the tree of life and the tree of good and evil were made out of the dust, out of the ground. So even the tree of life, which is something that offers you to reach the highest point of physical endurance so as to give you the greatest amount of time to discover the differentiation between truth and falsehood, between life and death, between God and Satan. is absolutely something of great opportunity as a belonging thing to you, which was the original plan of salvation. 
the Bible says in the New Testament that if people understood what they needed to understood, it would not have been necessary for Jesus to die on the cross. That takes us back to Eden, the para. There was an opportunity there. We know the story. We know what happened. Now, we see that one of the meanings of paradise is forest. And there's all kinds of interesting scriptures. In Ezekiel 28:13, Lucifer is in the garden. In Ezekiel 38, or pardon me, in Ezekiel 31, 9, the trees of Eden envy Lucifer. In Ezekiel 31, 16, and verse 18, it talks about his arm. His arm, of course, being described later as being those stones of fire that he walked up and down in the Garden of Eden and their connection to the co-unings that he had. And the fact that he was so beautiful and that it was his brightness that caused him to fall into air. That brightness included his beauty and his beauty of wisdom and knowledge, his beauty of his super intellectual and spiritual mind. Walking in the Garden of Eden does not bring you into the finality of salvation. If it had, Lucifer would have repented when he walked in the Garden of God, the Garden of Eden. But it allows you a special state for potential regeneration. We're going to take a break. God bless you.
wow <laughs> that was super <laughs> just love that janet lee thank you i'm getting lots of people making comments how much they enjoy your playing and they feel the spirit and the vibration that is a holy vibration that emanates when you play those songs. God bless you, and we thank, thank you so much, Janet Lee. And hello again, everybody. We're talking about paradise, paradise. Para meaning beside or side by side. That's what you had in the Garden East and the Garden West. And you had the, the Paisan people there, and the Gaihan, and the Hedekel, and the Euphrates people there. So the serpent people were there. And they were the ones that tempted Eve. To taste of the of the fruit. The exotic fruits of the west of the garden. And there is so much, because, you know, the, there's some people who think that, it's, that it is paradise, you don't ever have to work or do anything. And that's pure ignorance. Because one of the things that was the caption, and a major subtitle, for the Garden of Eden, the paradise on the good side, was that there was nevertheless a need for there to be a man to tell it. There was work to do there. But later, when that man had to leave the Garden East, then he had to do his telling and his work by the sweat of his brow. But when he was in the Garden of Eden, you had to still do, you had to still do work, but you could do it Without the sweat of the brow, you could do it with such ease. Such power of capability. And, and there's the difference between outside of the gardens and inside the garden. Now, let's look at a scripture here. Let's look at uh, Luke twenty-three forty-three. Now, in the book of uh, of Luke twenty-three forty-three, very interesting because it talks about it talks about the garden. It talks about paradise, and here's what it. Here's what it says. There was two male factors. Verse 39 of, of chapter 23 of Luke, which were hanging on a cross at the same time Jesus was hanging on the cross. <coughs> and um, <coughs> one of them basically said, 
You know, who do you think you are, Jesus? You know? If you're so super powerful, why don't you get yourself down off the cross and us too? But one of the other fellows said, hey, who are you to speak up and say anything? We're under condemnation and we are justly deserved of that condemnation. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And verse, that was verse 43. And verse 46 says that when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. <clears throat> now, Jesus had left a message with his disciples. And in the 24th chapter and the 7th verse, they begin to remember, as it describes it in verse 6, that when he was yet in Galilee, he said, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. They also remembered how that he said, I will meet you at Galilee. And we taught you last week that the word Galilee means circle. And circle, when you think of how active in the ministry that Galilee was, and how that circle is also connected to the, the idea of Gelgal, these flying ships of God in which the Bible says in Revelation, the angels are riding in them, preaching the everlasting gospel. And so, we know that on the third day, he was going to be doing other things. He was going to be in his resurrection body. But when he talked to the man on the cross, he said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, let's just say that that today was on the just prior to the Sabbath. And they were going to want to get him off the cross, the Jews and some of the religious sects, and get those people uh, dead and off the cross and buried so it didn't interfere with the Sabbath. So this was something that was going to happen right away, and this is something that's going to happen while he's off the cross and he's He's into the burial vault. And the Bible does tell us, and, and it makes sense that, you know, that, that Peter would, would have an understanding of that. Because he did. And we're going to, um, we're going to see here something very interesting as you get into the book of 1 Peter.
And let's read over here in verse uh, 18. For Christ has also, and we're talking chapter 3, verse 18 of First Peter, for Christ also hath once suffered our sins, the just once suffered, hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit, by which, now, he was put to death in the flesh, he's going to be resurrected of that flesh on the third day, but this is not the third day. This is that today time. But quickened by the Spirit by which. So quickened by the Spirit by which is the Spirit then that he goes and preaches unto the spirits in prison. Which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing wherein few that is eight souls were saved by water the like figure there, and wherein too, even baptism does now also save us. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels, authorities, powers being made subject. Verse 6, chapter 4, First Peter. First Peter, chapter 4, verse 6. For this cause was the gospel preached unto them that are dead. that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. All right. Now, here we see these people were preached to. They were given another chance to be able to be regenerated, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, which means they would have to come and take a body again. They're going to get another chance to come. And Jesus called this place, which was a prison, where these spirits were, he called it paradise. Now, there was a, an evil side to that place. But there was also a good side to that place. Because those spirits were, were held in abeyance until there could be a Savior to sin, which the Bible describes it in Psalms and in the New Testament, to sin into the lower parts of the earth. Now, one of the names for the earthly death is Sheol, and it means the grave. But the lower parts of the earth is a little bit deeper than that. It, it, it's sort of a, a physical, earthly way of talking about people who have died that don't go to heaven. They go to some other place opposite of heaven. And there is, as we have discovered, in the Old Testament even, like Deuteronomy 32, 22, it talks about the lowest hell. Psalms 68, 13, and Ephesians 4, 8 through 10, talk about Christ descending. And 
we're talking about these particular kinds of like Hades, upper and lower Hades. That there is an upper Hades and there is a lower Hades, which there's the lowest hell and then there's a hell that isn't as low. Because you can't have the lowest hell unless you have a hell that's above that. Then there's another kind of hell that's even above the Hades, upper, upper Hades hell, which is the Tartaru hell, which in, in the book of Peter, Peter talks about, you know, the, the spirits that are, in, that are in Tartaru. He calls that a hell. But if you look up the word, you see it is Tartaru, which means imprisonment in the human bodies. And he describes that as a hell, a living hell. But then there's the upper Hades hell, which is out of the body and just into the spirit world where your, your spirits are being held in a certain kind of captivity that is different from the body captivity, but a restricted area, not the lowest hell, but in between, and that's called a paradise. Because guess what? <coughs> it, is, it is side by side with the lowest hell, lower Hades. But upper Hades has, as part of the para, a possibility of still being able to spin away. It's a spin, a polarization potential of an opposite direction than the lowest hell. And Jesus went there that day in the spirit world and preached to those people, loosed them so that they could be regenerated in physical bodies and given another chance. And that was called paradise. Because para, para has hope. Para, the whole purpose of paradise was to get people to be able to eat of the tree of life and live forever. But then there came a point when they had opened up the para from both sides that the one para had to be closed down because it was too susceptible to be invaded from the other parasite. And the Bible says, least they eat of the tree of life and live forever. Then you've got to deal with people with this longevity that are just extremely evil. And so that was taken out of the scenario. Now the Bible tells us that there are some things that have been moved to heaven. It tells us that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven. It tells us, and I've preached this scripture to you before, that the tree of life was plucked up and was taken to heaven. Now when we talk heaven, we've been through this thing about heaven before. We know in the book of Genesis that the firmament was called heaven. That's the atmosphere, the sky. And then there's other elements and levels of the atmosphere that go up for many, many hundreds of miles. 
And so a heaven that is attached to is 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 a uh, attached to a a planet so as to make that planet uh, be livable is called a paradise so the father's house is a paradise but it's still a para it does not mean that if you live there that there is no possibility of any error any sin because it was the very angels who were, who were from Artura, the father's house, that the tail of the dragon, which in this symbolism, actually, and this literalism of, of stars that were the symbolism, circled around where the very location of the father's house Artura was, so that just out there in space was the other part of the para. And Lucifer, Satan, recognized that other part of the para then as, as he did in, the, in Genesis. So there is the para of the, of the great red dragon. And he said to the angels, hey, I want you to come to this other side of para of paradise because there is way better viewing and connectedness to the signals being sent to us if we go there. And the Bible says that the angels left their first estate. The first estate was the Father's house. It mentions that in the book of Jude. They left it. They left the para, so to speak, on the east side of the garden and went to the the opposite side of the garden. Lucifer becoming Satan is a master. He is a master at this thing with paradise. So the Bible tells us that in the ninth chapter of Revelation, that the fifth angel sounding, sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the bottomless key to the bottomless pit. And then we find out from reading this that this is actually connected with, with um, in verse 11, they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. And we begin to read in here that, that during this time in this bottomless pit, that Satan goes into a major manufacturing of these various kinds of, of creatures that he's going to use to ultimately defeat the other side of the para. And it's called his prison because he's got the key to it. He can, he can come and go if he really wants to. Although he has an agreement not to leave it for a thousand years or a generation. So, this para thing has been going on for a long, long time. And it's part of the cause of the contention 
and part of what caused the war in heaven. Because in this para, you've got, you've got the, the queen mother of God representing the 12th chapter of Revelations. But in other chapters of Revelations, you've got the queen mother of, of the whores, the mother Babylon, Estara, Estareth. So you've got the two paras. And they've got the dice on the end of the pair of dice because there are pleasures that are made available in the exotic realms of the West Garden as well as there are the, the bliss provisions in the East Garden. And the two paras of paradise And that word paradise is used quite freely describing everything to some people who get high on narcotics, too high on their lustful events, or too high in the money world. And that's a para. On the other side is a different para. And Jesus says, Hardly will any of those that are rich enter into the kingdom of heaven. He didn't mean you couldn't be blessed with money and finances. He meant that the love of that money would be the destructive force. And so we've got these paras. Now, let's look at Revelations 2 7. Okay. Revelations 2 7. Here's what it here's what it says. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, the paradise of God, and we've done a lot of research on it for you, giving you scriptures. I don't know that I'll have time to re-mention all that today. But it, it turns out to now be the Father's house. This is the paradise of God. And the tree of life is there now. And in another place, it mentions that the Ark of the Covenant is there. They've been moved. They're physical things. The tree of life was made out of the out of the out of the ground. Was planted in the in the in the ground and grew out of the ground. Physical things. The Ark of the Covenant was a physical thing. We have to understand this physical aspect. When people over spiritualize things of God. And they make everything physical and they do away with the, they, pardon me, they make everything spiritual and they do away with the physical. They ruin the revelation of para. And if you ruin the revelation of para, you have a problem. Because if you cannot understand and qualify and have a distinction <coughs> between what, <coughs> pardon me, Praise God. <clears throat> have a distinction between what is good and what is evil. You have a problem. 
Praise God. <clears throat> Praise the name of God. Praise God. <clears throat> All right. Get a little clearing here. So, this para has got to be understood. If you don't understand the para, <laughs> you're not going to ever get out of the rut. You have to understand it. You have to be able to qualify a distinction of differentiation. And it is extremely important. To him that overcomes, <coughs> he's going to eat of the tree of life, <coughs> which is in the midst of the garden of God. Praise God. Oh, wow. Why don't I let my wife just play a couple, maybe one, two songs while I get my throat clear? That would help. We thank God, we praise God <coughs> for his blessedness. <laughs> I'm sure the forces dark do not want me preaching this message. <laughs> and I haven't even really got started yet. But that's just the way it is. Maybe one song, Jan, will do it. Praise the name of God. We thank God, we praise God, we glorify God. I'm getting better. Here we go. Thank you, Janet. That's a time helper. Yeah, yeah, that's a little better now. <clears throat> Thank God. So this thing in um, Revelations 2, 
verse 7, says, To him that overcometh I will give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, this is, you know, to the church of Ephesus, which symbolically represents a certain universe, because all those universes had to overcome too. This particular church, Ecclesia, was having a problem. Although there were many, many things they were doing that was right, they had fallen because they had left their first love. And that's a serious thing that does happen to people that call themselves Christians. They lose their first love. And so what they had to overcome was the fall of losing their first love. They, they had to get restored. They had to get back to loving on the same level that they had from the beginning. <clears throat> and that's what God wanted them to do before they could even be allowed to eat of the tree of life. Doesn't want people eating of the tree of life that have lost their first love. And they're going to have to do more than just try to figure it out on the planet Earth. Because the Garden of Eden is a wilderness, the Bible says, and a desert <coughs> that once existed in Eden. And this paradise of God has been moved to the Father's house, which you might read again, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And so, if they're going to eat of that tree of paradise, this is talking about a journey. It's talking about a journey not from one point of earth to another point of earth. It's talking about a journey to go to where that tree of life is, and obviously that's what he wants people to do, to overcome, to get their self right. They've lost their first love, to restore that first love, and then take the journey. Because if they're going to want to eat of the tree of life, they've got to get to where the paradise of God is, and that's where it's at. Praise God. Now, that gives us another little insight on this thing of the par paradise. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12.4. 2 Corinthians 12.4. Let's just start with the first verse. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to the visions and revelations of God. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Now, this revelation of the 14 years ago <coughs> is explained in the epistle of Galatians, which is the next book over from Corinthians, where in the second chapter says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem <coughs> with Barnabas and took Titus with me, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but 
privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. And then prior to that, in chapter 1 of Galatians, he explains in verse 17 of chapter 1, Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me, but I went up to Arabia and returned again into Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. So now we see this whole thing of the fourteen years, and we see the connection that during that time of revelation, Paul had had an experience which he describes as being caught up to the third heaven. Now, just from that understanding, we begin to see that there are different, different levels of heaven. A first heaven, a second heaven, and then a third heaven. And then that's not the heaven of heavens. And a lot of people get that mixed up with being the heaven of heavens. It's not. He can't go to the heaven of heavens. No, no human can go to the heaven of heavens. until the judgment is finished and the universe is ready to eventually come to an end. But he says in verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard in unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now, what he is saying there <coughs> is that there were mysteries and he repeats this in his, his various epistles. That were hidden from the foundations of the world. And they were not made revealed. Even, even some of the great men of God of the Old Testament, you know, did not have an opportunity to understand that revelation. They were hid. But it wasn't until he went to this third heaven, this third heaven which was a paradise of God, it wasn't the first heaven that it describes as the firmament on earth, but obviously this was the paradise in the Father's house. And he went there, and he then received this secret that had been hidden from the foundations of the world. Wow. And with this foundations that had been hidden from the foundations of the world, with this revelation of the foundations that had been hidden from the foundations of the world, let's say, he received what his destiny was, what his gospel destiny was, was to not go to the, the Jews and preach. The other apostles, they had that vision. His was to go and bring this message and extend it to the Gentiles. And he had to go he had to go to this place called the Father's house. Now, when I received 
my experience with Gabriel, that opened up to me the revelation of the Father's house in a manifold way. I eventually had to have an experience and did have an experience in which I experienced an ascension to the Father's house. and received the revelation that the Melchizedek ministry was the order that the people on the planet Earth here had to know about, which in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John was the other sheep that Jesus had to go and get and bring back to the Earth so that there could be a period in which they got to know about each other and there was then a unity put together. And so there's other people that need to go to Artura, the Father's house. And we told you at the beginning of this starting of the analog with angels, that we were going to take a trip. An unusual trip. We've taken a trip before, but this one's going to be even more magnificent. And we're still ha we still have that on the agenda. We're going to take a trip like a virtual reality, but it's going to be deeper than anything right now that you can imagine. And we'll take some of you, in addition to other places, we're going to take you to Artura, the Father's house. Because there needs to be a line of special believers who understand the reality of this. Who understand the reality of this. And its importance. And how that this para paradise has to be understood in the special way of application because if you don't, you don't even get through the door of knowing what it's about. But there are things in your life that you need to overcome before you're ready to be over there in that land where the Ark of the Covenant is and the Tree of Life is blooming. It's expedient. God wants to catch away his people to the third heaven. And you will hear there words that have been not been lawful to be uttered for generations and generations of time. They have not been lawful to be uttered. You will hear those words. And in hearing them, you will come into that beautiful and wonderful example of the precious revelation that there are other humans from this planet that were taken out of here, were caught up, raptured out, and before the flood taken to Artura, 
And let me, me remind you of this. In chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 20, it talks about the forerunner who has entered for us, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you need to understand that after is not first, is second, or third, or later. And you need to understand that the ultimate revelation that the Bible's teaching in the New Testament, as well as it being taught in the Old Testament, is that the most magnificent, the most urgent, the highest potentiation is the revelation of the other sheep. And God has given me this message to preach. And, and Paul preached about bringing in the Gentiles. I'm preaching about bringing in the other sheep and making unity between God's children that, are in the, that belong to the bosom of Abraham's side to God's children that belong to the bosom of the Father's side in the Father's house. And in the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews, it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem, Jerusalem, is the oldest name for Jerusalem, the house of God, the city of God, priest of the Most High God, he isn't the priest for some order. He's the priest of the Most High God, the Most High, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Abraham paid tithes, and so did Levi in Abraham's loins while he was not yet born. But the important was so indelible, so incredibly absolute that all of they that are in the Abraham column all of they that are in the Abraham bosom, all of they that are in that, that doctrination, that teaching, which is all has its time and its place and its part, all of them are not first in line, they are second in line to the Melchizedek revelation and the Melchizedek call. Now, Listen in chapter 2. To whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first by interpretation, king of righteousness. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king. And after that, the king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Now we see that this is a higher order of Jesus Christ himself. And that when he was revealed on earth, he took not on the body of angels. Didn't take that on. But he took on the seed of Abraham because it was the seed of Abraham that needed to have the revelation. That, by doing that, that put him in the second order of that mission to the order of Melchizedek which then made Jesus being made a high priest, as it says in verse 20 of chapter 6, after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, verse 3 of chapter 7, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, 
made like unto the Son of God by the priest continuously. Now it explains this thing without father, without mother. In verse 6, right on down. But he, speaking of Melchizedek, whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Now we see that the reason he's without father, without mother, was because there was no descent on earth. They could not be counted. So he was not counted from any of them that received, uh, that are in the Abrahamic fold. He was counted from them who are at the father's house, offspring of Enoch. Now, it says some very interesting things in here. And I suppose we should take the time to read it. Because he is an example of this third heaven revelation. And it is, it, is, it is so important that the people get this, that they understand this. It is so important that they come into this revelation because without this revelation, honestly, they're not understanding the patterns of things in the heavens that need to be purified by with certain physical symbolic understandings so our dear brother and our dear sisters there is so much i have to to share with you i, I can't hardly believe that time is passing so fast there is another revelation that I want to just breeze by you. And then we'll really get into it and preach on it next week. It is a revelation about Elijah, who in 2 Kings 2.11, he ascends. And then he's taken up and it's very descriptive there that it was planned and he's taken up. But what a lot of people don't know and don't realize that years and years after that ascension, he wrote a letter to one of the kings warning them of what was going to happen, prophesying. And there is a real dispute in the theological world about this and what they basically say then is well that's because Elijah could not go to heaven because no one could go to heaven but Jesus because he said that that was the case well Jesus never said that next week I want to show you that he did not say that and what that really means and I want to show you 
how that Elijah, <coughs> after he ascended, he went to a physical place and he continued his message. He came back and forth like it said of Enoch, he was taken. It talks about him going back and forth. And he ministered and he wrote that letter years later to the king. It's an incredible revelation. That comes next week, along with a continuum of this revelation about the paradise insight. Now, I want to thank you, dear listeners and people. And I think it would be great if you would get on your computers and you would get onto your websites and you would get out there wherever you can and advertise about these teachings that are going on by the broadcast. And I ask you again to pray with us. Time's a-running. We're going to close down the style that we've been doing with these broadcastings at the end of December. It's not far away. We want to get these books published, and it's going to take funds to do it. We need your prayers. We really need your prayers, because I have on me the spirit to finish these not all of them, we can't get them all done, but we can get the book of Revelations, the star eyes, perhaps more than that done. But it will take money, it will take funds, which we do not have. I need your prayers. I do need your help in prayer. God loves you. God bless you. Until then.